Today is Thursday the 24th of August 2017. I hope you're having a great day so far. I had um, a pretty short night's sleep to be honest but I'm feeling good and uh, looking forward to today. Um, got quite a long stint of meetings today but they're the good sort, <laughs> not, um, not the sort that uh, makes you wonder why you're there. Um, there are a couple of young women who are helping us with our project um, in terms of what I consider to be some very key things um, around culture and community and also brand and communications and that kind of thing. And um, I have a regular catch up with them and uh, a lot of today is going to be spent meeting with them. <clears throat> They're um, people that I've only known for, I guess, maybe about nine, 10, 11 months, something like that. Um, but, you know, they're absolutely wonderful and uh, totally trust them. Um, they're very committed and passionate to the project. And it's always a, a pleasure to, to meet with them and talk through all the things and discuss how we're going to uh, walk the walk and not just talk the talk. So that's pretty cool. The other meeting we've got, <clears throat> all of us actually in between that, is um, a while ago I was reached out to by a young vet in practice. Um, since he joined his practice, he's been trying to introduce some changes there. Um, and it's of course always very difficult because these things are going to be very dependent on, um, how receptive people in the practice are to his ideas. Um, which sounds like he's had some good progress so far in introducing some things that on the face of it seem to make, you know, good sense to me. Um, but he reached out to me to ask for any advice in terms of he was concerned about something that's called change fatigue, um, which I'm not going to get into here, but basically the idea being that he was worried that he may be introducing too many changes too quickly. But also, um, you know, some of the challenges he's facing in terms of convincing some of his colleagues, and in particular, um, more long-standing colleagues, uh, about the merit of the changes he wants to introduce. So we're just going to meet with him today and see if we can provide any kind of help, advice, guidance um, about what things he might try, but also, um, you know, to see whether we can get engaged uh, helping him with colleagues in his practice and so on. It's a very informal uh, early discussion, but, um, you know, it'd be a pleasure to be able to help him collectively if we can. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then this evening I've got... Uh, a very lovely dinner with um, Layla and her family, all of whom are just very, very, very lovely people. Um, so we're going to have a great vegan junk food dinner, um, which is going to be awesome. But anyway, I um, just for the next minute or so, I, I just wanted, I guess I wanted to say, um, you know, it's a cliche, but people always say, you know, live today like it is your last. And you may wonder, you may find yourself thinking, well, <laughs> how the hell am I supposed to do that? Um, you know, because if you literally was your last day, I'm sure you wouldn't be doing the things you are doing today. But, um, the thing is, it, you know, I think it's more about the state that you're in when you're living your day to day. Um, you know, I, I round off my episodes now basically saying, take chances, be compassionate and live in a beautiful state. Because I guess for me, if you can achieve that every day where you take chances, you are compassionate and you feel beautiful. I don't mean in an aesthetic, physical sense, um, but more in a kind of spiritual sense. Um, you know, that if it was your last day, well, it wouldn't matter, you know. So it's not really about 
what you have and it's not really about what you're doing it's about how you feel um and so although live each day like it's your last is a cliche thing and you know we all may wonder like i would be doing a whole bunch of other stuff today if it was if it was my last day um to me that's the point of the cliche really is that it's trying to encourage us to to live in a certain way all of the time um so that if it does if it does happen that your time on planet earth has come comes to an end um you know it, you will have been in a happy state in a beautiful place at that time so my plea to you i guess for today is um you know whenever anything happens that that you feel uncomfortable uncertain angry irritated frustrated wherever those kind of put all those negative emotions in a bucket try and just park them to one side live in a beautiful state um and you know be at peace and i'll catch you later cheers bye bye it's 20 past 5 um i just thought i'd pop in with a quick update finished um a few hours of meetings and as uh, i said this morning <clears throat> it was all good and um you know positive uh, inspiring kind of meetings um I wanted to focus a little bit on the uh chat we had with the young vet that I said was coming. Um really interesting to meet him, really good guy. Um I think a lot of potential for leadership and entrepreneurship and um to do some things very well. He was telling us obviously a detail about changes that he's tried to make in his practice and how that's gone, the experiences he's had around that. Reminded me a lot of myself actually because um you know when i was a young graduate in my first job i also tried to do a similar thing um and actually in more recent years i tried to do a similar thing at a large institution i was working at and all of these things really remind you about a few things one is you know just how important culture is and it sounds like an obvious thing to say really but if you recognize that culture essentially underpins absolutely everything it's the way you do things it's the attitude it's the ethos you know depending on what cultural lens you put on any scenario i think one or other outcome um you know can seem much more intuitive and so some of the things that he's tried to implement in his practice for example to me just seem like very good ideas and the things that we would have no hesitation in doing and yet you know there has been challenge and pushback and some of that is you know well it's not some it, there's a large responsibility on the person or the people that are trying to implement the change or what i encouraged him to refer to as the improvements um you know to get people on board to explain to them why to allow them the opportunity to voice their concerns and issues um as far as you can to validate those you know and actually just have a process around trying to introduce things that you uh you know you think are going to be improvements and then how do you manage that process of introduction how do you manage the follow through how do you go on to demonstrate that some positive um benefit has been obtained so it's not just as simple as oh you know want to implement a change and and people are resisting um but on the flip side you know even with a process it really is going to boil down to the individuals that you're with and the culture and um You know, we had a good long chat about things that he had tried to do and the approaches that he had taken. And I I think he's a, you know, a great guy and has definitely managed to achieve some significant things. Um but uh, you know, it was very much an afternoon actually that was all about kind of culture and people. 
which I, <laughs> I come back to often because it just it's sort of self-evident really that it's all really about culture and people um, the people make the culture um, so actually it kind of leads on to something else that um, I wanted to touch on which is again cultural and it's about the sort of you know the sensitivities around um, conversations with colleagues um, and not just internal colleagues but also external colleagues and how do you have candid frank conversations with external colleagues where you know you're not being rude or aggressive or anything like that but you know ideally you can have those conversations without there being any uh, implications negative implications um, drama tensions arguments fallouts any of those kinds of things you know um, but of course that's not always the case either really and so it's very interesting so it's a scenario that I'm not going to get into specifically here but um, it did make me think about how we have engagement with our colleagues externally as well and understanding their particular perspective and their environment and you know what the lens they have on the situation that you're talking about um, it's all very interesting anyway I hope you're having a great day and I will catch you again later cheers bye bye so it's coming up to about 11 o'clock it's been a long but good day that seems to be something i <laughs> say quite often at the moment which is great um for this last little bit of the day i wanted to just talk a little bit about doing the right thing and uh, i guess try and contextualize it to what we do in in the veterinary sector in essence you know our priorities um were meant to be about patient care and safety um care of our own team and obviously their their safety how we treat the pet carers um if you're a referral center then you know your relationship and the way you treat the people that refer cases to you um there's your local community there's the wider veterinary community but if we just um, focus specifically for the purposes of this chat um, on patient care um, and safety, the question I have is, at what point does it become acceptable to not do the right thing by the patient, to compromise on patient care? Um, and what might be the reasons that might make one do that? The first thing we've got to say, of course, is that, well, you know, I've just said do the right thing and who defines the right thing. And what you find is that there are, you know, I'm the first person to admit that medicine is very grey and can be very grey. And especially when there's a dearth of evidence to substantiate anything that can be ranked as evidence based medicine, then certainly, you know, opinions matter. Um, and I always say that I think that, you know, it's probably a fair summary to say that there is bad practice and there is good practice. And then within good practice, there are different opinions. You know, it's not all black and white. We can discuss different opinions and we can do different things to one another, but they all fall into that bucket of good practice. And I guess I think about doing the right thing in a similar way, really. So there are just the wrong things to do. And then there are the right things to do and the right things to do can have a different flavor, but essentially they're in the right things to do bucket and doing the right thing is surely always the right thing. 
And one might say, oh, Shailene, you're so naive, and how can doing the right thing always be that easy? But I guess I just want to ask the question, why not? I mean, let's start, you know, let's get this sort of financial, practical conversation out the way. Of course, I totally understand that, you know, veterinary practices are mostly businesses. Even the charities are going to, of course, be resource limited. One cannot always do what one wants to do. If a client is paying and they're not unable to pay for a certain level of care, you cannot maybe provide it and so on. There are also practical limitations. What facilities do you have available in your practice? Um, you know, not everywhere is a referral center, etc. I get all of that. But my point is, even at the basic level of care, for things that you have the capacity to do, when does it become acceptable to not be doing the right thing? What is it that makes people put something else above the right thing, or to compromise on the right thing, or to have the perspective that the right thing is negotiable? Um, you know, sadly, there are places, there are people that put profit over doing the right thing. There are people that put their own personal um, gain, I suppose, if you like, not necessarily material gain, but, you know, maybe uh, get something done quicker, have some more time to relax or whatever it might be. And that's all fine. But at what point does it become acceptable to not be doing the right thing? Um, as I say, it's a bit of a sort of sanctimonious rant in a way, but I just, um, I guess I take a huge amount of comfort from knowing that as an individual and the referral center that I'm founding, that we will be obsessive about always trying to do the right thing. And, you know, as I've discussed, that's going to be set within the context of every individual situation and what the particular constraints might be, but at its very core and at its very essence, the right thing is not going to be negotiable nor, you know, ignored. Anyway, um, thanks for listening today. Take chances, be compassionate, live in a beautiful state, and I'll catch you tomorrow. Cheers. Bye-bye.